Hello again. Can, can we, we're, they're bringing up the house lights even as I speak so that I can, oh, no, no, put them back down. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'd love to be able to see you and, and see how uh, you're reacting and if you're falling asleep. I, I, I've been recommending this book to you that, uh, that Brian McKenzie wrote. It's a study guide more than it is anything else. Gives you an opportunity to, to study the book of James on your own and make sure that the the primary truths that, that we've learned together over the last year are uh, cemented in your heart. It's for coaches primarily, the faith-fueled coach. But uh, I don't know how many of you here have children. It appears that many of you do. Um, and, uh, you know, you lead in the household and you coach hearts. And so this would be an excellent resource for you. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet that looks kind of like this on the kiosk at the Welcome Center back there, that that table that's very right there in the back underneath the Merry Christmas sign and between the wooden Christmas trees. And uh, you can sign up for that. It's $10. Uh, we had several sign up last week, and uh, we want to get that order in. So if you would take the time to do that on your way out, there will be somebody there to greet you. Um, we, uh, we, of course, have been making our way through the book of James uh, in a study. Uh, hold on a second. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm always hesitant about this, this, the PowerPoint, but <sighs> I'm going to be all right. Um, uh, we, the, we'll be completing, actually, our studies in the epistle of James this week. Uh, it, it seems like we just got started into it. This year has gone so quickly, but this is actually the last time that we'll be together. And this is part 36 uh, James summing up, and we'll be looking at chapters one through five, and that's going to scare the spit right out of your mouth. But but really, we're we're going to just kind of skip a stone over the you know over the top, over the surface of the book of James, grab some of the highlights, and then see if we can come to a, a conclusion that we can all share in terms of how we should react to uh, this epistle from James. Over the years of my ministry, I've studied the epistle of James and, and taught it about six times. But uh, this was the first time I used the title, Advice from a Brother You Can Trust. And I have to admit that I've, I've tended it over the years to see the epistle of James as something of a, uh, well, like a graduation speech. I don't mean to put it like that. But you know those speeches where the, speak, the guest speaker collects uh, eight or ten pithy sayings and, and then lays those sayings out in front of the, of the graduating class kind of buffet style. And, uh, and you know how it works at a buffet. You look for the things that you like and want, and you fill your plate with those, but, but you leave those other disgusting things behind there on the buffet. But, but I have to tell you that I no longer see the book of James that way because the problem with seeing James' letter that as a, as a buffet or a graduation speech is that James served us a whole bunch of things this past year that uh, some of us might have preferred not to eat. I know that happened to me several times. You know, as I'd be getting ready for this Sunday's message, I'd sit back and say, come on, James, really, truly, we're going to do that? You're go anyway, there's been a whole bunch of stuff in the book of James and James' epistle that, that maybe we would, we would choose not to eat if we had the option. In other words, as we make our, our way through James, we, may, we might want to pick and choose what we're going to take to heart and what we're going to ignore. But we need to understand that James is not laying out a buffet and he's not giving a graduation speech that gives a bunch of random, unconnected advice. It's not that way at all. You see, I've learned to see James 
as a very logical progression that leads to a single conclusion. Like the person who says, I said all that so that I can say this. And the all that that James said to us in the process there amounts to quite a bit of stuff. In chapter 1, James told us to consider it pure joy whenever we face multiple difficult trials that hit us all at once. And then added that trials strengthen and purify our faith and make our faith more valuable than gold. He tells us that those who persevere during trials in chapter 1 will receive the crown of life when they finally stand before Jesus. He tells us that it's dangerous to allow ourselves to have a simple desire to have something we don't have or a simple desire to have something that we shouldn't have because simple desire grows up and gives birth to sin. And then sin grows up to become habitual sin that gives birth to the death of everything that we hold dear. It was an incredibly precise and and ominous warning from James. He tells us as well that that we should be religious about doing what's right and and looking after people who are in need. And then in chapter 2, he tells us to treat poor people with the same kind of respect that we treat rich people. He tells us that our good works and good deeds make it obvious to people that our faith is truly alive and that anyone who has faith will also have the habit of sacrificing for the sake of doing good things for other people. In chapter 3, he tells us that our words carry weight and what we say carries consequences. He says that we can use our words to set people on fire and burn their lives down or we can use our words to encourage people and build them up. He also says that he wishes that we would, we would build people up instead of burning them down. I mean, it just, it's a pretty reasonable thing that he's asking, for, asking of us. He says that when we're motivated by the wisdom that comes from this world, we make a home in our hearts for bitter envy and selfish ambition, and that leads to disorder and every evil practice. If that's what's driving us this morning, the wisdom that comes from this world, then that's where we'll end up. But then he adds that when we're motivated by the wisdom that comes from above, our lives, our families, and our church will be full of purity, peace, consideration, and respect, obedience, mercy, impartiality, and sincerity. And all those things will lead us to what James calls a harvest of righteousness. You know, as we plant those things in our, in our hearts, righteousness, right living, good things come out of that when, the t- when it's time for harvest. In chapter 4, He tells us that if there's something that we want, we should ask God for it instead of trying to take it away from someone else. He tells us that we can't be friends with the world and friends with God at the same time. We can't do things the things that the world does and do the things that God wants us to do at the same time. Because God and, and whoever is a friend of the world, James actually says, is not a friend of God. And so we have to choose one or the other. That's the point that he makes. And we have to choose either the world or God because we can't have them both. Not at the same time. He says if we submit ourselves to God, this is kind of cool. If we submit ourselves to God, the devil will run away from us. Now Hollywood has never put that in a movie. I wish they would. But if we submit ourselves to God, the devil will flee. He'll run away from us. He is unnerved whenever we as God's children, as the saints... Submit ourselves to God. He says that we shouldn't judge one another, but that we should all submit to God's judgment in our lives. 
He says that we should always consult God. This is all in chapter 4. He says that we should always consult God as we make plans for the future because that's the only way to make plans that actually make sense. In chapter 5, he says that we should always pay the people who work for us and reward them for their efforts. He adds that we should do that because we know that God will someday reward us for our efforts as we serve him. He tells us that, that farmers wait patiently for the land to produce crops. They, they don't plant the crops and then come the next day and, and with disappointment because the crop hasn't grown. He says that the farmers wait patiently for the land to yield its crops and we should wait patiently for God to reward us for the things that we did for him as we sought to build, strengthen, and establish Jesus' church here on planet Earth, just like we were talking about earlier. James told us in chapter 5 that Job persevered in his sufferings, and that finally led to God blessing Job in remarkable and, and amazing ways. He told us about Elijah and how Elijah used his superpower to turn the nation of Israel back to God. And he told us that we have a superpower too. And it wasn't the, it, it, what the thing that set all of that in motion was Elijah's prayer life. He prayed and asked God to do certain things. God did them, and that set the stage for the nation to turn around. Uh, we have a superpower as well. We have the power to pray for one another and to hold one another accountable. But he says that that only becomes possible when we collectively stop hiding our sin from one another and we choose instead to confess our, our weaknesses and our shortcomings to one another so that we can pray for one another and hold one another accountable. Now, that would be a very complete buffet. And it would make an awesome graduation speech if James was saying that we could pick and choose from the advice he's just given us. And I saw some of you writing things down, and I hope you weren't writing down the stuff that you, you'd like to see, you'd like to try, you know, this next year. I, I hope that you were writing those things down because, as a reminder to yourself that, that we have an opportunity, we have an obligation, because James is not asking us to pick and choose. He's saying that all of the things that he's told us must be in place in our lives, and that if we're careful to make sure that all those things are true in our lives, we finally come to the point where James can say, I said all of that to say this. And here's the this, if that's such a sentence, here's the this that James says at the end of his epistle. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. James is saying that there are people who have wandered from the truth and people who wander from the truth ultimately live in destructive ways. That's the way it always works. And those destructive ways in which they live leave behind battered, bleeding, and broken people in their wakes. We sometimes run into people like that. Now, James doesn't give us the permission to judge them. That's not the point that he makes. But he does encourage us to use our superpower to turn them around and get them moving in the right direction. And then James adds that when we do that, we cover over a multitude of sins. And remember, we're not talking about covering up sin. We're talking about covering over sin, as in preventing future sin that would have come up had they continued moving in the same direction. 
And here's how that works. We often say that hurt people hurt people. And by that we mean that hurt people leave hurt people in their wake. And if we allow those hurt people to continue on that same course, they will continue to leave hurt people in their wake for as long as they stay on that course. But what if we can get those same hurt people turned around? What if we could help those hurt people to become whole? Well, if it's true that hurt people hurt other people, then it is just as true that whole people make other people whole. If it's true that hurt people leave hurt people in their wake, then it's just as true that whole people leave other whole people in their wake. And not coincidentally, if we get involved in turning people around like James has suggested, then we're fulfilling part of the purpose statement for our church here that says, this part says, the potter's house exists to be the church by making Christ-committed followers who will make Christ-committed followers in our community and around the world. Now, in our community, that right there can happen in two ways. There are people in our community who have not yet trusted Christ as their Savior. And, and you, can, you and I, we can use our superpower in cases like that to get them turned around as we help them learn to follow Christ instead of following the ways of the world. And there are other people in our community who have believed in Jesus but are not really following him. And once again, we can use our superpower to get them turned around by helping to hold one another accountable and praying diligently for one another. So that works for our community, but what about the around-the-world part that's up there? The around-the-world part of our purpose statement. Well, the short answer to that question is, that's where our church missions program comes in. For our example, our church is the sending church for Steve and Jen Hagen. Some of you know them, and I'm sure some of you don't. They've been gone for a while. And as a church, we support a mission called Global Empowerment. It's a mission organization. Years ago, God sent some of his people to a group of headhunters who call themselves the Bukalot. The Bukalot were, were leaving death and destruction in their wake and, and were headed on a collision course with an eternity in the pit of hell, but God turned them around. And now the Bukalot churches are sending their people to help turn around the 80,000 Agda tribal people who live in Bicol, in the, in the Bicol region on the island of Luzon in the Philippines. The Octa who live in Bicol are actually made up of several distinct people groups who are unreached. They haven't heard the good news up to this point and who have traditionally been the lowest of the low in Philippine society and that's where the Bukalo churches come into the picture. Most of you know that story. But we recently received an update from Steve and Jen to say that there have been some recent developments that are truly exciting. Um, breathtaking as far as I'm concerned in light of where the Agta have come from and where they are presently on their journey. Uh, the update serves to help us to see the, the impact that our church, that you have been able to have through the people we have been investing in, through the people that we stand behind as we pray and give and go. And the update also presents us with a new opportunity to be more involved. I'd like for us to watch a video that explains that. 
God is doing amazing things with tribal people in the Philippines. Our family moved here in 2005 to share the gospel and plant churches amongst the Agta tribal groups in the Bicol region. Typically squatters who move from place to place, abject poverty and racial discrimination against the Agta runs rampant. While God worked mightily in our first term, with baby churches in four different Agta languages, we saw there was a more strategic way to reach the Agta tribes by mobilizing and training reached tribal groups to send missionaries to the Agta. Tribals reaching tribals. So our second term, we focused on mobilizing the Bukkalot tribal church. The Bukkalot tribe used to be fierce headhunters feared by all. But God sent missionaries to their tribe, and a church has been flourishing there for many years. Since my parents were some of the later missionaries to the Bukkalot, we built on that relationship and watched in awe as their tribal churches seized the opportunity to send out their very own missionaries to reach other tribes. Since 2011, the Bukkalot tribal church has sent out 19 missionaries to reach the Agta. These missionaries have shared the gospel in hundreds of Agta villages, baptized a couple hundred people, and planted nearly 20 churches. Now, another tribal group comes into the picture, the Mangyan tribes from another island in the Philippines. They too have a church established in their tribe, a passion to reach the Agta tribes, and many years of ministry experience with the Agta. The relationship between these three tribes just took an exciting turn. With so many new Agta believers, the Bukkalot missionaries expressed the desire for Bible education for the Agta believers and church leaders. The Agta church has also recently joined together to form the Bikol Tribal Church Association, and they echoed that need. The Mangyan church has had a Bible college functioning for over 50 years and they are willing to work with the Bukkalot to offer biblical education for the Agta. The first semester of Bible College was held June through August of 2021, and we were all dumbfounded when 18 Agta completed the first semester. This number was exponentially higher than any of us expected, and there are now even more Agta signing up for the Bible College classes with the next semester set to start in January 2022. While incredibly exciting, we have completely outgrown the small piece of land where the Bukalot missionaries hold trainings, seminars, and fellowships. We began checking into some adjoining or nearby land where we could expand, but the prices were very high with other issues to navigate besides. However, we recently found a piece of land that seems absolutely ideal for our purposes. Our global empowerment team, Bukalot tribal missionaries, Mangyan missionary, and Agta church leaders went in to check it out. 21 and a half acres only eight miles from our current property, and it has both road and freshwater access. The size of the property would allow us to integrate another dream we've had for years, to offer livelihood skills and community development training in conjunction with church planting training. The Bible College can have classes in the morning, then agricultural work in the afternoons to be self-sustaining. The other skills and church planting training could run concurrently 
or between Bible college semesters. The Mengyan Tribal Church has committed to sending and supporting four Bible teachers for the college. The Bukkalot have committed to hosting classes in the interim while continuing their church planting work. And our team has committed to providing rice for the teachers and students until their first harvest, as well as printing the curriculum. We see this as an amazing opportunity to partner with the Bukkalot and Mangyan tribes to expand God's kingdom here amongst the Agta tribes in Bikol. The first step is to buy the land. Second step will be to erect temporary structures that will allow us to move on to the land. Then we will work towards building a more long-term classroom building, dorm, and teacher apartments. God is using tribals to reach tribals here in the Philippines. If you would like to join us in standing shoulder to shoulder with our tribal brothers and sisters to spread the gospel amongst the unreached tribes in Bicol, this is your chance to partner with tribals reaching tribals for God's glory among the nations. Can't tell you what that does for my heart that there's such a thing as the Bicol Tribal Christian Association. I just can't imagine. If you'd like more information about the land and, and how you might be able to help the Bukalot, the Mangyan, and the Agta make this Bible training uh, a reality, you can talk with me and, and I'll get you started in the right direction. In the meantime, uh, we can say that God is working among the unreached in the, in the remotest of parts of, of jungles around the planet, but he's also working among the unreached in the deepest parts of cities around the world. And this morning, we have an update on that as well. Ah, there we go. Good morning. How are we all doing this morning? Now, if you've, uh, if you've seen us around and you're not completely sure who we are, rest assured you're not alone. The question of who we are is uh, one that keeps me up at night sometimes. I'm, I would say I'm not completely sure how to answer that question myself either. But we've had a chance to meet a lot of you, and we've been glad for that. And for the rest of you all, um, I'm Dave, and this is Bethany. Our daughter Lucy is here. And uh, she's a very interesting person. If you get a chance to speak with her, I'd, I'd highly recommend that you take that. Um, you're going to hear bits and pieces of our story this morning. But for now, suffice it to say that since 16 years ago, when we decided to follow Jesus to the other side of the world, it's taken us to some very unexpected places, places that we, we, uh, we found surprising and weird and uncomfortable at times. As we've strived to make the good news known, among people groups in the country that he sent us to that uh, wouldn't have an opportunity to hear the good news if we hadn't have gone. Now, isn't it just an amazing thing to have this good news, this message that is really so simple? Jesus died for you if you choose to uh, believe in him and uh, make him a part of your life, then he'll turn your life upside down, and he'll make what's broken whole, and he'll, uh, 
He'll turn you away from your path of destruction toward healing. It's this simple message that if people will just believe it and accept it, it's, it's an amazing thing, isn't it, to, to, to have this message. And yet, hmm. tell me why it's so hard sometimes when we sh- want to share this message with, with the people around us. I'm sure I can't be the only one that's found it that way, that you know someone who could benefit greatly from just putting their faith in Jesus, and, and, it, and it would turn their life around, and it would make, a, make all the difference in the world. You know that they need it, and you know that the message is so simple if they would just accept it, believe it. I had one friend, he was a, a Muslim friend of mine who, good grief, God was doing, just tearing down all kinds of walls to reach out to him. He'd heard the good news many times very clearly. He'd had multiple dreams and visions that were very clearly from Jesus, and he knew that. And God was impressing on him through those dreams that the choice that he was faced with was so important, and he needed to take it seriously. On one occasion, in fact, I, he had mysterious spots on his lungs, and we don't know what it was, but I, I, I felt God telling me to do this, so I laid hands on him, and I prayed for him in Jesus' name, and he was healed. And despite all that, he still doesn't seem to get what God is trying to say to him. How can you stand right next to the truth and and not see it? Am I the only one who's had that experience? Can you think of someone in your life who, man, if you would just believe this simple message, it would turn your life around. And it just seems like God is like invisible to them. You know what I mean? I mean, God is invisible, but... The things that he's doing in their life, they just can't see it, and they can't see how this simple truth could turn their life around, turn them from destruction toward the path of life. Now, even though we, we all, I'm sure, desperately want this to happen in our communities, to happen in this church, for people's lives to be turned around from destruction toward life in our cities, in our counties, and around the world, especially among those who haven't had a chance to hear it before, But can we acknowledge together that this is really hard? Even though it's so simple, it's really, really hard sometimes. And it's hard for a very good reason. Now listen to this, because this is not going to sound right when it comes out at first. And I'm going to explain it later, but listen carefully. The right to speak into someone else's life is not a God-given right. I'm going to say that again, and right should be in in quotes if you're writing this down. The right to speak into someone else's life is not a God-given right. Instead, we should call it a privilege. And the privilege of speaking into someone else's life can only be given by that other person. And this is a really good thing. It means because just because someone says something to you, you don't have to believe it. Just like if you say something to them, they don't have to believe it. In other words, if if I were to walk up to you and just say, listen, man, the color green just really bothers me. And if you keep wearing green shirts, I'm just gonna, it's going to make me mad every time we hang out. So could you please stop wearing green shirts? Now, <laughs> you can choose to do a couple different things with that. You could choose to take my advice and stop wearing green. You may choose to maybe not wear green around me so much so that I won't be distracted by the weird issues that I have and we can focus on more important things. Maybe you'll make an extra point of wearing green around me just because it's funny how mad it makes me. I don't know. The point is, 
It's completely up to you whether you want to accept what I'm saying or not. The scripture is full of exhortations for us to control our, our own bodies, to allow our minds to be renewed, to guard our hearts. This means that, that God has given every single one of us a uh, stewardship over our own minds and hearts and bodies. It's up to each one of us to decide for ourselves what we want to believe, to respond to the feelings that we're, that we're feeling, to exercise self-control over our body. Everyone that you meet has that same responsibility, that same gift from God to be, to, to be in charge of those things in, in their lives, their minds, their hearts, their bodies, and you have that same privilege, that same right. This is a good thing. So what are we going to do about that? If other people can make up their minds whether they want to believe the good news, especially, or not, how do we give people the best possible chance of responding to the good news? In order to earn the privilege to speak into someone else's life, we need to get involved in their messy, complicated lives. Now, understand, I'm not saying that this imaginary person's life is especially messy or especially complicated just because they don't know Jesus. I'm saying this person's life is messy and complicated because if we're being honest, all of our lives are messy and complicated. We're going to get involved with other people's lives the same way Jesus got involved with humankind's lives when he came to be here in person. He got involved with our pain, with our, our sickness, with our sin. And he showed he cared for us by listening to us, by, by healing, by casting out demons. And he provided us with what we really needed when he died for us. And it's the same way with us as we reach out and love those around us. Before we start preaching, we need to be willing to get involved in other people's messy and complicated lives. If, if your life doesn't look messy or complicated, or if my life doesn't look messy or complicated, it's because, probably because you just don't know me that well yet. As we get involved with each other as we do life together, as we confess our sins to each other and pray for each other, as we bear one another's burdens, as we love each other well. We do that in our community of faith and we do that among the others around us and around the world. It's going to get messy and it's going to get complicated. Well, 16 years ago, God called us to head over to the other side of the world to do just this, to engage communities there in meaningful ways, to get involved in their messy, complicated lives, especially those communities that don't have access yet to the good news. Now, in order to earn the privilege of speaking into their lives, to share the good news with them, to invite them into God's family, that was our goal. We, but we weren't entirely prepared for just how messy and how complicated life could be when doing life together with people who see the world completely differently from the way we do. Hi. Uh, well, Dave just dated us a little bit by saying that we moved overseas 16 years ago, almost 16 years ago. And as he mentioned, these 16 years have been messy and complicated, to say the least, but they have also been beautiful and productive. When we first moved to Southeast Asia all these years ago, we had no idea how to navigate the new landscape that we found ourselves in. 
but we'll be forever grateful for the community of faith that was around us, the word and the spirit who guided and supported us in so many different and confusing situations. We've also made a lot of mistakes along the way and are so thankful for his grace. Many different cultures, languages, and religions converge in the country that we live in. In addition to the indigenous peoples, there are many unreached people groups who come to our city to work, study, and relax. This makes for an exciting and sometimes very chaotic melting pot. Over time, God has given us various inroads into largely Muslim communities in the city. And being accepted into these groups has resulted in some messy and complicated situations, as Dave mentioned earlier. I recall a time when one of our good friends, who is Muslim, asked us if we would consider contributing to his dad's second wife's medical fund. While polygamy is not as popular as it once was, it's still practiced and is legal in some parts of the country. On another occasion a few years ago, a good friend fell ill and needed to be hospitalized. The friend was a Muslim from an unreached people group with very few known believers. He was having some strange symptoms and the doctors were having a difficult time diagnosing him. Since witchcraft and black magic are widely practiced in his people group, we weren't sure how much of his sickness was due to physical issues and how much may have been spiritual in origin. There is a picture of us visiting him in the hospital. And we actually took this picture pre-COVID when wearing masks was a novelty. We had to wear masks in the hospital and we're like, oh, wow, this is funny, we have to wear a mask. Uh, not so strange to see it these days. Um, so his family was quickly accruing medical bills while he was in the hospital. And some of our teammates felt moved to start up a collection of money for this family. God generously provided a large amount of funds and these were accumulated and sent over to us. So here's a real need, and we have now resources to help. This is a good thing, right? Here's, here's a chance for us to get involved in a real meaningful way and really help someone who's in need. But as we sat down to think about exactly how we were going to get the money to them, it started to, to occur to us that it was more complicated than we thought helping out. There might be unintended consequences of just walking in and, and handing them the money. For example, among this people group, like a lot of Muslim people groups, there are stories of Christians buying converts. We, we didn't want that to complicate their, their story later on if they decided to follow Jesus. When people around them would say, oh yeah, of course they're, you know, they're Christians now because you know those Christians, they gave them that, that bunch of money. We didn't want that. On the other hand, if we were to give the money anonymously, being Muslim, I, I would assume that they would think probably this came from an Islamic charity. Now think about that for a minute. Do we, and, and, and what is our responsibility there? Do we, do we have a responsibility to make sure that the people that we're giving this money to at least know this is Jesus' money? <laughs> it, it, what should we do with that? Because what would even be the point, we were thinking, of giving money to, to this need if the assumption is going to be that people are going to just think this came from an Islamic charity. What would even be the point? Would that be, would that be wasted money? So we were really not sure exactly how to proceed. We wanted to help, but we didn't know exactly how to move forward with that. Now, fortunately, we were part of a community of people who all had the Spirit of God, who all had the Word of God, and a promise 
from the book of James that if any of us lacks wisdom, we can ask God and he'll give generously to us without finding fault. So we called a meeting. We got our people together and we started discussing the problem. We told them all about it and what we were thinking. And of course, as we were discussing, the, the passage came to mind where Jesus said, when you're helping those in need, do, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And we're talking about this, and of course, all the, un, the unintended consequences of, of doing it that way we were concerned about, but as we looked at it, it just hit us as a group. There's no caveat here. There's no exceptions. As far as what happens after we give the money, it seems like that's not our concern. It's not our problem whether they know this is Jesus' money or not, whether they know this is coming from a Christian source or assume it's coming from an Islamic source. Our job was just to help them out in the sneakiest way possible. Well, this is the fun part of the story because this is where we launched into a kind of reverse heist to try to get the money into the right account at the hospital without them knowing we were there. It was a small hospital, so we really couldn't even visit without them knowing that we were there. So I recruited the help of a receptionist. The very first problem we had was that even though we knew these people pretty well, everyone from that group uses a nickname that has nothing to do with their real name. So we didn't actually know what his real name was. So to get the money under the right account was tricky. So the receptionist went up and on the slide, took a picture of him and came down and showed it. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's the guy, that's the guy, okay. <laughs> so she was, she was very excited to be involved in this, this reverse heist. My, my partner in, um, I don't know, is it crime? I'm not sure. But my, my partner there at the, at the hospital was very excited to be involved in that, and she had some ideas about how to put the money in so that you know she was all into accounting. And I didn't have any idea what she was talking about when she started talking about that, but I trusted her. She was, after all, my partner in this whole thing. So I released her to that. And she asked me, what should I say to them if they, because they're going to ask me where the money came from. And I said, just tell them the money came from God. And we found out later that when they asked her where the money came from, she told them that an angel dropped it off. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure if she actually believed that I was an angel or if that was just a story that she was comfortable with because she didn't want to have, explain it any better. But by the time we were done, the bill was completely covered. There was a little extra even. And over time, our friend got better. And we learned later that as they were discussing amongst themselves where this money might have come from, one of them pointed out to the other, hey, don't Christians have that thing, you know, in the Bible that says, when you're helping the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing? Well, we don't know many Christians, <laughs> they said to themselves, so probably I bet it was those people. <laughs> and they sent us a sly kind of thank you message, almost like, like you know, whoever it was that, you know, we just want to say thank you. And so that was a time that we were glad because of the possible unintended consequences of being too, um, acting too quickly on that. We were glad that we slowed down and took some time to discuss it as a group. Sometimes the spirit has other plans and lead us, leads us quite differently. After trying unsuccessfully for a number of years to hire local people to staff our barbecue business, we ended up with several Muslim employees from Bangladesh. Although not initially apparent, it soon became clear that these guys were victims of human trafficking. 
Three of them owed huge sums of money to loan sharks and agents who had brought them into the country with grandiose promises of jobs and educations that never materialized. And it was a complicated mess for all of us. The guys would send most of their money home to support their families in Bangladesh. One guy, we'll call him Roy, his mom got sick and needed a blood transfusion fairly urgently. His blood type matched hers and he asked us to buy him a ticket to Bangladesh. For a small amount, we could get him a flight on a budget airline and potentially save his mom's life. After talking and praying about it for a while, we decided that we couldn't just say to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, but that God was calling us to take action to demonstrate our love for Roy and his family. We purchased the ticket, his mom survived, and he later returned to work for us for several more years. Bengali migrant workers are just one of the many unreached people groups in our city that we hope and pray God will bring more believers to engage with in the future. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Or in our case, if God is willing, we will live. And in the next weeks or months, we'll be returning to the other side of the world to start a whole new chapter in this adventure. Among other things, we're going to be working together with a K-12 international school that was started by our team in order to provide affordable, quality education to families like ours. But it has grown into something much more meaningful than that. To be a refugee in this country means that mom and dad can't work. There is no legal way for them to make money, and the kids can't legally go to school. You can imagine what a burden that puts on a family thinking about their, their kids not getting education. So this school that we'll be working with when we go back has also opened up their doors to refugees and in partnership with people around, especially the United States, but around the world, offering scholarships to children of refugees. What that's added up to is a wild community unlike anything I've ever seen before, where people from all over the world, including some of the hardest to reach groups in the world, are all gathering together at this international school where our families are also involved. Now here's a place where people of faith from all around the world have an opportunity to engage with, to get involved with the messy and complicated lives of people, and especially of the unreached, to earn the privilege to speak into their lives in order to introduce them to Jesus. And we'll be coaching, empowering, and equipping his people from all around the world to do just that. As we head back over there, we hope that you all will join with us and pray, especially for wisdom, as we head back and get involved in the messy, complicated lives of people. As our brother James puts it, the prayer of a righteous person has power as it is working. Now, won't you, righteous people, righteous not because of anything that you've done, but because of what he's done for you, won't you, righteous people, please throw the weight of your powerful prayers behind us as we head back? And that prayer is effective. It's powerful. It works. It will accomplish something, and we need that so desperately. So please, won't you join with us in that way? Now, I hope we've brought up more questions than we've answered this morning. That was one thing we were trying to do. And I hope you'll bring those questions to an open house that's going to be at Jay and Faith's house. It says here I'm supposed to mention the address. Is that true? 87? You'll have it up there. Okay, okay. We'll be having an open house tonight starting at 6, and we hope that you'll bring those questions with you. 
We're looking forward to talking more about this. Thank you for the privilege of speaking into your lives, and let's keep the conversation going. Thank you, David. Uh, we want you to know that um, as a church, we're going to be standing behind David, Bethany, and Lucy and uh, supporting them. And, uh, and one of the ways that we can support them, as David just mentioned, is by prayer. And so we hope that you will be doing that fervently uh, as they prepare uh, to go back. And we will be doing that as well. And we're going to do that right now as we pray for them. Would you uh, pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for David and Bethany and Lucy and their hearts for you and their hearts for people, uh, their hearts for the unreached. We pray that you would uh, give them uh, power and wisdom and vision as they serve you. And Lord, we want to serve them uh, as we pray for them, as we lift them up, as we give them strength and go with them, Lord, protect them and uh, give them your mercy as they serve. Thank you for the privilege of ministering in this beautiful and unique way, and we, uh, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to thank David and Bethany for uh, sharing that with us, and uh, I hope that you understood the, the plan that we have going forward. We're, as a church, as a fellowship, we're going to begin to invest in, in their ministry. Uh, the elders have made that decision, and uh, they are asking for more than, than just that, though they're tremendously thankful for that. They're asking that we would be, uh, that we would be standing behind them in prayer. They, they need wisdom. Uh, someone who's been on both sides of this issue, I can't tell you how important that is, knowing that, that people are praying. Um, well, that's about all the advice that we have for this morning. Our time is up, and uh, we've come to the end of, of James, but we're starting next year into, into First and Second Timothy. I just wanted you to know that in a series entitled, Be Strong in Grace. I don't think we'll get both First and Second Timothy done uh, in one year. Uh, so we may extend beyond that, but uh, we'll let God work in our hearts as we go. And that's all the advice that we have from a brother that you can trust. Uh, the only thing that remains is that thing that I said I would do. I'd put this, that 87 Outback Loop, Lynn Creek, that's Missouri. Uh, it's just down the street over there. It's at our home tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. We're hoping that you'll all take the opportunity to drop in, say hello, and say goodbye uh, I'll be driving them to the airport tomorrow morning, and we're going to miss them greatly, but uh, it's good for my heart to know that we'll be standing behind them as they go. Uh, David, by the way, in case you didn't catch it. He's my son. Faith's in my son. and Bethany has become our daughter over the years, and that little girl that is so clever is my granddaughter, and I'm proud to be able to say that. Thank you so much for your attention this morning, and I, I hope you've understood that, that we're part of something that is much bigger than Camdenton, much bigger than our church, much bigger than the community of which we are a part, and uh, God is using you in ways that you, you probably have never guessed and never will uh, as we reach out into the community and 
around the world for the sake of God's glory, making Christ-committed followers who will make Christ-committed followers. Will you stand with me in the presence? Father and our God, we have been drinking from the fire hose this morning as we've tried to sort out a whole bunch of things that, that relate to the privilege that we have of turning people around, God, of, of being shoulder to shoulder with someone who is face to face with someone who is headed in the wrong direction and leaving destruction and death in their wake, who are headed for destruction and death, and, and God, to, to have the privilege of just stepping between them and that course that they're following and and pointing them to Jesus and sending them off in your direction. Father, that is the greatest privilege that any person, any people have ever had in the history of our world. And, and God, we wanna, we're asking you to help us find the courage, to help us find the boldness that we need to continue to speak up for the sake of your glory, for the good of those of us who are following you today, and for the good of the, the many that are still waiting to hear that Jesus was born, that he lived and he died, that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. All glory to you, Father, for your goodness, and all thanks to you for meeting with us today. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, it's hard to sum it up, but you know, a whole James thing. Get the book, start doing some study, cement those things in your heart, Put those things into practice, and when the opportunity comes to be face-to-face -face with somebody that needs to get turned around and headed in the right direction, you take advantage of that. Pray for Dave and Bethany and, and for Steve and Jen and that property and all this other stuff that we've seen today. God bless you for coming out. All that's left is for me as the coach, I guess, to say, ready? ready. Go get them, Potter's House.